Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his views in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battle's for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world. Hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. From the Speed Sport Podcast Studios, powered by My Race Pass, here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in, pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit Ford Lincoln Charlotte com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. Today's guest, Mike, an Italian professional motorsports driver who has competed in several top-level motorsports events, such as Le Mans, 24 Hours, Formula One, Champ Car. He is the son-in-law 
of Emerson Fittipaldi. That is racing royalty right there. He has history in the NASCAR Cup Series, Xfinity Series, and trucks, as well as Indy cars. His company, MPI, stands for Max Pappas Innovations, setting the standard in steering wheels and other racing innovations. Are you ready? Massimiliano Pappas, you know him as Max. Mike, say hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I have no, you know, that was a surprise. Yes, it? I was. I've only known him as Max, but as you laid this down, I didn't know that extremely long Not first Similiano. name. That is correct, Max, right? That's your name? Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, it uh, stands for Maximilian. Gosh. Maximilian. Maximiliano. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, because Max would have been too short for Italy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever go by Maximiliano? Uh, I mean, in, in Italy, you know, that's a pretty common name, but uh, no, I, actually, I still need to understand why my dad called me like that, because he never called me Massimiliano one time in his life. What's it say, on your, driver's, what's it say on your driver's license? Uh, Massimiliano. Aha! Uh, there, you go. there you go. It's the official name on the passport, sir. Yeah. All right. So, you know, you can't, uh, you can't change it. Anyway, uh, good to be here with you guys. Uh, you know, pleasure to be here, you know, uh, I know Mike for a long, long time, and uh, 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 love to hear what we want to talk about. Yeah, well, we want to talk about you, Max. That's what this whole show is about. And uh, what I wanted, a lot of race fans know the name Max Pappas. They also know the name Mad Max Pappas, and we're going to get into all of those things. But what we're trying to do, we have a really large viewing audience. Jeff, how many people watch? It's actually a listening audience, Mike. Listening. What did I say? Viewing? <laughs> Excuse me. You know where I'm going But that's with it. okay. The whole world is listening, Max. The whole world. Yes, the whole world. I'm ready for the old word. Okay. You know, <laughs> okay. I can speak in whatever language you want. Are are you multifluential? Fluent in numerous Something languages? Like How many languages can you speak, Max? I can only speak English, so that's the reason I. Yeah, have. I mean, you know, and when uh, when you're born uh, when you're born in Europe, it's pretty easy. Okay. You know, because uh, you know, yeah, I speak about five five languages. Oh, really? You know, but. Yeah, but it's um, yeah, it's pretty common in Europe, uh, and especially for a race car driver. You know, I had to go and build my career in all different places around the world: Japan, uh, Europe, uh, Germany, England, U.S. And uh, you know, you pick up the language if you want to eat. Yeah, that's cool. I, you know, I wasn't even going to go there, but since you said it, I, I want to stick to that just for a second. When you do those, and you you mention all the different countries you race in and teams you drive for, do you uh, self-teach yourself, or do you actually, I mean, put a heck of a lot of effort into learning the language, or does your team just kind of help you with enough to get by? Uh, yeah, that's actually a really good question. So I, I give you my experience. You know, when I was about uh, 15 years old, I went uh, – uh, to Japan to racing go-kart uh, over there, you know, for a team. And uh, that's when I started to kind of understand, and not really understand, you know, but like, you know, understand right, left, and speak like that. And uh, uh, the other experience I had when I was about 18 and a half, uh, nine, 19, uh, went, to U went to England to race in Formula 3. And uh, I was fortunate I studied English in school, but it was only written English. And... Uh, uh, I give you my way of teach, of learning a language. Every day when I when I had a new word that I didn't know exactly, I wrote it down in the book. I went back uh, home. We didn't have, obviously we didn't have Google or anything like that. So I opened uh, the um, dictionary and I found uh, what that word meant uh, in Italian. And uh, 
I learn one extra word every day. So that's how I learn, you know, different languages. Well, congratulations. That, that takes a lot of work, a lot of effort to go through. Though. It really does. Especially five languages. I mean, you know, if you want to, you know, think about it, this, it, I, I think it's a lot more simple than, than, uh, than what you want to look at it. Like, like if you, if, uh, if uh, you would have had a, if you would have off, got an offer for a team in Canada, in France, in Canada, French Canadian, and the only things they would have done talk French, I'm sure you would have learned French as well. <laughs> Probably. Question for you, real quick, and then we're going to get on the real story. So, since you know all the languages, have you ever gotten a conversation with somebody just to mess with them and utilize all five languages while you're trying to talk to them, and they only understand one language? <laughs> that's uh, talent. That, right it's actually that, that's what's happening in our in our home every day <laughs> because uh, with my kids and my wife, we speak a mix between Italian, English, and Portuguese. So, uh, and the kids as well. You know, it's actually a really good to, good tool. When uh, you don't want people to really understand what you're saying, yeah, and uh, and uh, the, the 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 tough part is when you say something on the limit, and the next person near you, you actually speak the same language you do, so that you, you can find yourself in trouble. Gotcha. Well, Max, what we'd like to do, all the race fans that are listening around the world have heard the name Max Pappas. Serious race fans have. But what I realize, and our fans tell us, they don't know the backstory to you. How did Max Pappas get involved in motorsports? Where was the day and the time that, you know, lit that little guy's eyes up and said, I want to be a race car driver? So what we'd like to do is have you tell us a story. And the story is, take us back to where you think was crucial to the start of your career or first time you got in a go-kart uh, a bicycle, a motorcycle, whatever, and, and then lead forward. We're going to let you tell the story, and we're going to ask questions along the way. Uh, yeah, that's actually, you know, thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. And uh, uh, my story, it's pretty unique. And uh, it starts from uh, a small village in the north side of Italy called uh, Barasso, B-A-R-A-S-S-O. It's a village of about 1,000 people. That's where I grew up. Um, when I was about 12 years old, uh, in the, about a couple of miles from where we, we lived, there was this uh, guy that was extremely renowned about uh, uh, preparing uh, and tuning go-kart engine. Uh, he actually was about, he was like 14 times uh, karting world champion. You know, he, he, he had uh, Ayrton Senna, as the, one of the guy in his list. And uh, what I did every day, I took my bicycle and I went down and visited the guy until uh, one day he took me to the Gokor track. I think it was about 12 and a half. You know, we have a local track about 30 minutes from home. Uh, rented a cart, put me in the cart, and uh, uh, didn't tell that to my dad, obviously, because we didn't, you know, <laughs> my dad had no... No, nothing to do with racing. And uh, at the second time, you know, we rented the same cart and uh, we did a local race and I finished in top five. And uh, then we had to go back and tell my dad, uh, you know, what actually we did on that Saturday. And everything started from there, you know, from uh, just a kid who had a dream with no racing background. So how did your dad take that news? Was he was he glad? Was he angry? It was, it was quite... You know, simple. He said, you know, listen, we're not wealthy people. You know, you've got to make a decision. 
you know, I can pay for a soccer lesson or if we, you know, what we do, we can put the same amount of money and buy, you know, a, a chassis for your go-kart. And I went, oh, yeah, let's buy the chassis for the go-kart. <laughs> it was okay. You know, my dad was was very, very tough person. And uh, and he told me all the time, he said, you know, he, that, that, you know, how tough it would have been to try to make it happen. And uh, yeah, that was the motivation. And, uh, you know, and from there, you know, the long story short, you know, I this gentleman that was, uh, his name was Diego Monbelli, that was like really one of the most famous engine tuner in the world, in the two-stroke world. Um, uh, he took me under his wing. I grew up with him. I ended up uh, winning uh, racing for free and actually being paid a little bit by karting manufacturer because karting in Europe, uh, it's similar to dirt racing in America. And uh, uh, from there, you know, about 17 and a half, I won intercontinental championship. There was like world championship back then. And uh, uh, that it was... Uh, Something I thought I was going to race go-kart all my life because uh, I had a salary. I was able to do what I wanted, and a uh, few things happened that I ended up racing cars. So, Matt, Max, help me because I understand that go-kart racing in Europe and other parts of the world other than the U.S. is very popular. And you just made a comment that you were making a salary uh, driving a go-kart. Is that is that, and I'm just trying to educate myself at this point, can you make a living racing a go-kart? Absolutely. You know, think okay. about it, you know, uh, a company like uh, OTK, Tony Kart, that is the most popular chassis and engine manufacturer, it, it must be over $100 million business a year. And uh, uh, they sell thousands and thousands of, of equipment around the world. So when they choose you to be their works driver, uh, it's a little bit like the best way that I can compare it, it's similar to what Donny Schatz does in dirt. You know, people might not know that you can make a living in dirt racing, but Donny Schatz make a great living. Sure. And, sure. Uh, and uh, yeah, absolutely. There are there were there were guys less fortunate, uh, well, I say less fortunate, I would say, there were guys that didn't really have a future in cars and they stayed in go-kart all their life. And uh, they were able to create the basis for their life. So, mm, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's very much possible. As you said, you know, it's almost like looking at it like you look at dirt, dirt racing, you know. It's like, just a, it's a form yeah. of racing that pays you, and you can just you can stay doing it, right? I mean, you start it. Is that what you're saying? I mean, sounds like yeah, it's a big mean, business. There, there yeah. were, for me, you know, I was about 19 years old, and I would have only stayed in Bokart at the level when when I was back then because we didn't really have any any connection to go any further, and. Mm. Uh, uh, I mean, it was amazing. You know, I was going to school. I was uh, getting a salary. I was racing all around the world, and uh, it was even more than what I was, you know, hoping for. And uh, so, uh, it is. Yes, it was a form. Uh, it was a way of uh, making a living and uh, doing what you, what you, what your God gift was. I like the word you say. I was racing around the world. Mm -hmm. That that. To me, these international, great international drivers get to say that. What's it like to race around the world? I mean, I know how to race in the U.S. I went to Japan and raced, and I went to Canada and raced, but kind of in a structured environment. What's it like to travel the world to race? 
I give you an example. A uh, 16-and-a-half-year-old uh, economy flight all the way to Australia for the Intercontinental Championship was the first time that I saw um, eggs Benedict served for breakfast because in Italy, we know, we don't have that. And uh, so uh, you learn new traditions. It's amazing. It's a, it's a great opportunity. It allowed me to grow into the person I am now. I got you. So as you had those great experiences early on, and I want to follow up on one more thing, kind of backs the story up a little bit. The gentleman who was building the motors that took you under his wing and basically, I assume, started your go-kart career to win these races and travel the world. Why do you think he chose you? I'm sure there had to be other kids that had come by sometime or another. Were you just that impressive early on? Well, as I told you, like, you know, we were a neighbor. We were very close. Okay. He was uh, uh, the engine tuner of this very famous engine, you know, uh, engine builder, engine manufacturer in go-kart. And uh, he had four or five other kids with him, you know, but through the years, I, he took me under his wing and I became, I became the works driver for that uh, manufacturer that he was working on because uh, uh, he, he, he saw some ta- he saw the talent that I had and he wanted to, he wanted to develop it. Yeah. So for all the years I've known you, Max, you're, you're always, uh, if I might say this in a complimentary way, you're always uh, always prim, proper, dressed well, all that. Did you do that as a kid, or were you kind of a sloppy kid early on? <laughs> when uh, you need to look for an opportunity, you need to be, you need to look at your best. Okay. And uh, that's for me what I, you know, I never allowed myself uh, uh, to leave anything unattended. So... For me, as you said, you know, um, if you show up uh, in front of a team manager and uh, you look like a like a guy that sleeps in the street, or you look like a cleanup guy, maybe you, you have a better chance. You know, it's all about how, you know. I always said, you know, very few people have the have the luxury of dictating what they want. Some people need to, you know present need to do things in order to make you know first impression count and to me that was always my goal you know make first impression count beautiful it's called dress to impress mike yes neither one of us like will that. ever dress be to impressed neither one of it's us actually will funny ever... mike you know i want to tell you the story like that i think it's important that hold, i never hold that paid s- attention to that hold it but s- I thought that hold that story max we need to take a break we're going to take a time out and we'll come back we're talking to max pappas you're listening to fast card and nascar with mike wallace on the speed sport podcast network powered by my race pass and nascar digital media hi it's mike wallace you need to get behind the wheel of a vehicle that's built tough with Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln. Right now, you can get $500 off any new or used vehicle that we have in stock. That's right, $500 off any vehicle that's currently in stock. To take advantage of this deal, simply visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com Wallace. Don't miss out on this opportunity to save big on our entire inventory. Get $500 off of new and used cars, trucks, and SUVs at Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Forward Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Forward Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. We're talking to the very well-dressed Max Pappas, and once again, Here's Mike Wallace. Max, we were talking as we went to break about that, uh, you know, looking good, being the part, whatever, and you were going to lead into something I asked you to hold. So go back to where you were going to be talk about. We lose Max. Hello, Max. Uh, can you guys hear me? Yes, oh, there we, go. we can hear you now. Okay, sorry. About that. You know, yeah, I said, you know, I flew to, you know, I give you the story that was super simple. Uh, I had, I didn't know, but to me that was my my modem operandi, the way I always uh, worked. And uh, one day I got a call uh, to show up in Michigan for a indic for an Indica race. And uh, a few months later, uh, that uh, team owner told me that uh, he was very impressed that I presented my, that I showed up uh, with a shirt, and uh, I was serious about how I was talking and. Uh, that was one of that one of the reasons that contributed for me to get a, my first IndyCar ride. So, I guess that uh, it worked. Perfect. Always looked apart, right? Right. Be and, the part. And ne- I was going to say neither one of us is ever going to be accused of being GQ. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we we've kind of done our. I don't need to be GQ. You just need to, you know. I mean, would you would you in an interview anyone guy that would work with you if you would show up with shorts and flip flop. Yeah. Uh, or if you showed up with a pants of khaki and a and a pair of uh, snicker, wouldn't it be better? That's yeah. what I am. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, no, well, you're you're 100 right. We all know. Not, how to... not 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 over the top. You know, I'm a I'm I come from a 600 people village, so we're simple people. But okay. you know, well, I just want to let uh, you know that I am wearing shorts and flip flops. I'm just saying. That's good. I mean, nobody sees. People no. only hear your I'm voice. I'm hiding there. behind a microphone. You, yeah. you have to understand, Max. We are sitting in a 34-story complex with a penthouse view, overlooking Charlotte, Miami, and L.A. all at the same time. Show <laughs> <laughs> me a picture. Yeah. <laughs> so, which which relates to a six by six broom closet with some <laughs> with some. Uh, product here in it you know so just kidding but yeah you gotta look the part to be the part we've said said that my brother rusty was always that way when he moved down here man he right? starched blue jeans and perfectly starched shirts and all that and he then he drove for roger penske and you had to stay that that pattern but let's get back to you max we, we always get deviated off talking about different stories so you had that career or have a career going in go-karts and you're about 19 years old and you're running i assume you're running pretty well with this gentleman that's uh taking you under his wing and you guys got making a few dollars along the way what what happens next 
you know, I end up uh, winning Karting World Championship. And uh, from there, I got an opportunity to race. Uh, uh, not an opportunity. I created the opportunity. You know, I, I picked up uh, the yellow pages and I called uh, every single company within 500 miles of where I used to live. And uh, I put together half of the budget that was needed to race in Formula 3. Uh, and, uh, and that's what I did. You know, I went up there, you know, I won races and, uh, I went all the way to racing formula one when I was 24. I, I, I'm glad you got to that point because I'm going to be honest with you, Max. I, I think I've known you a fairly long time and I knew you did international racing, but it, until checking the show out, I did not know you had a formula one career. I am, I was totally awed. I'm reading this and it's like, oh my God. We, we have to hear about the Formula One world. So tell tell me, and I'm probably jumping too fast, but tell me about Formula One racing. It, you know, it's become, it's gained a whole new culture here in the U.S. Um, you know, in the last couple of years, a lot of exposure, a lot of races coming about, so forth. But uh, give us a little bit about that experience. Mike, uh, it's uh, quite uh, simple. When you grow up uh, in Europe, you know, in the 70s and in 80s with no internet, no nothing, you, the, the, main, the, the, the biggest form of racing is Formula One. And that is what everyone aimed to go. Uh, and uh, was, uh, I didn't even know that was, there was racing in America, if you want to call it that. Okay. And uh, I, I pursued that uh, route. And I, uh, for one year, I was a, a reserve driver for Lotus, you know, and Honda, this very, very famous team, you know. In mm -hmm. And uh, and then I had the opportunity to race half, half season uh, in uh, 1995, and uh, uh, you know, it was a great experience. Uh, but at the same time, it was uh, uh, I realized that. Uh, uh, we didn't have the tool or the connection to be able to go any further than that uh, mid to low level team. And that would uh, allow, that would push me to come to the United States in, uh, in 96 after my Formula One experience. So. Gotcha. So let, help me understand something. It, it may not have directly to do with you, but I am going to ask a Formula One question because you're the only one I know that's ever raced a Formula One car. And I realize I'm watching Formula One today. You know, as you know, it's all become way more popular. What Liberty Media bought them out. You got the Drive to Survive show. We got more races here in the U.S. Why is there such a diversity amongst the teams? Is it just a financial deal and the best teams, the highest finance teams can get the best talent? Or is there just, I mean, that's what I would assume it would be. But is there something you can add to that? And then we'll get off that. I mean, F1 is a manufacturer series. You know, okay. it's uh, think about it. If uh, in NASCAR, instead of having uh, uh, Chevy, Toyota, and Ford, you would have uh, 20 different manufacturers. And as well, think about if NASCAR would go to United States two times a year, uh, all around the world, it becomes. Uh, and happening, you know, it becomes uh, uh, something important, you know, because uh, uh, they've been creating this aura, you know, to be uh, uh, 
for real a world championship, you know, not not just on paper. And uh, and at the end of the day, you know, if your question is, are the best race driver in the world in Formula One? No, uh, you know, they are the best at racing a Formula One car. You know, but it doesn't mean. I mean, you know, just look at uh, with all the respect, you know. Uh, you know, great driver in F1 like Kimi Raikkonen and uh, and Jenson Button in Formula One were champions. They showed up uh, in uh, road course in NASCAR and uh, they they haven't you know they've been running good you know but they have not been dominating. Yeah, Max, you can kick their ass. I I've watched you race. So, <laughs> and I I was just trying to understand the difference in the teams because there seems to be a big diversity in the speeds of the cars. Ah, but, okay, yeah, I know, understand what you want to say. Yeah, just absolutely. Say, Think about it. The Red Bull cars team, just dominate yeah, every week. Each team builds you know? their own car. Yeah. Yeah, each team builds their own car, Mike. You know, yeah. like uh, they build uh, – when I raced, uh, it was not uh, – we didn't have the budget to do it. You know, but basically I know that nowadays every single bolt and nut in the car is actually CNC machine and they, they don't build and they don't buy anything. They build every single piece of the car. Yeah, I read that the other day. I, I've kind of, I guess, because the Haas team, which I had a lot of hope for, and that's only because they're located right down the street from my house. Or originally they were going to run, you know, they call it Haas F ones on the building, even though they don't run it out of there. But uh, you know, technical stuff. They had an article about, oh, we machine every bolt for the car, and it's like, man, that seems like a lot of expense and a lot of extra work. But uh, I was just confused because you know, you get the kind of there's three teams that win every F1 race, you know, primarily one, the Red Bull deals, but uh, Mercedes and Aston Martin stuff. But all right, move on from there. Uh, and I, I kind of got off. What was your, after the Formula One opportunity that you had, how did you end up getting to the U.S.? What was that break to, uh, to bring you here or for you to get on an airplane and go, I'm going to the U.S.? Um. I got a phone call from uh, uh, Ferrari to come and race their sports car in Daytona in U.S. and uh, to enter race in the IMSA Championship. Uh, that was 1996, and that was pushed me to come to U.S. to race. And uh, it was, uh, yeah, that was that was uh, after the Formula One experience I had. You know, like uh, I felt that. I wanted to be a, a real pro, and uh, in Europe there were not a lot of opportunity. You know, to sports car was not a very high level, and in US uh, sports car were, was really high level. And uh, I came over in '96 to drive for Ferrari uh, in Daytona, and uh, that's where I put my name on the map, and uh, that allowed to open a brand new career in US. So am I correct in what I've uh, researched? They, that Ferrari ride at Daytona, is is that the year and the time that you uh, garnered your nickname, Mad Max? <laughs> yeah, you, you got it right. Yeah. You know, I, I came over here, nobody knew who I was. And, uh, I mean, uh, there were things that for me that were a little bit uh, different, like uh, you had no speed limit in pit lane. Uh, there was uh, very few rules, uh, and uh, uh, I ended up uh, in, the, in the circumstances happen. You know that uh, that Daytona 24 hour, I was able to really make my name. You know, I was like four lap down, 
um, to the leader with two hours to go. They put me in the car. The leader was Wayne Taylor. I ran him down. It was the closest ever finish in the 24 hour back then. Uh, I drove it wide open from turn four to uh, last pit box in pit lane because there was no speed limiter. <laughs> All of these things uh, made my name in a way. They were like, yeah, if, if, I guess that uh, they were not on purpose, but that's kind of my personality. And uh, well, hell, it, it created a name. It created a person, right? right? I mean, that was good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was not it was not intentional, but at the end, when I look back at it, uh, he was uh, uh, he, he actually he was pretty much uh, my personality. Yeah, well, I was I was excited to read it because I honestly thought the Mad Max deal came through IndyCar racing, only to find out it was a twenty four hours of Daytona. Right. You know, so, so the bottom line is, you... who, who helped that uh, is uh, was uh, Bob Varsha. Bob Varsha, and okay. you drove yeah. that Bob thing like a know. madman. That's, that's yeah, the story, and, and Bob right? uh, on TV he said, you know. There are people known to be to be incredible, but Max today is driving like Mad Max. There you <laughs> go. So. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, after that uh, exciting Ferrari run in 24 hours, you chased down Wayne Taylor. Where, where did you go from there? What how, did you stay in the U.S. at that time? Did you go back home and? Yeah, I was always going back and forward because uh, I didn't have uh, you know IMSA championship was only 12 races. You know, and uh, and my job was uh, uh, developing and testing the cars for Ferrari in Europe, and so I was going back and forward. And uh, uh, during that year, uh, in the middle of the championship, Toyota uh, needed a driver in IndyCar, and uh, I got a call from uh, from the, the Works Toyota team, and. Uh, uh, I showed up, I raced in mid-Ohio the first time, then I raced in Elkhart Lake, and uh, they offered me a three-year contract, and uh, from there was uh, my IndyCar career. So in regards to when you got offered that opportunity back then, was that you just came and sat in a car, or did they have, you know, simulators, sim work, all that type of stuff like they have today, or how did you, uh, how did you get prepared to go to mid-Ohio, <laughs> or did you just go sit I... in the car and did it? Yeah, how I got prepared was uh, uh, looking at the map, understand where Mid Ohio was, taking uh -huh. a plane, go there and kick ass. <laughs> <laughs> Very that was my preparation. So, so why is it so complex today? Then why do you have to do all this? <laughs> I'm, j I'm joking right now, guys. Got to be a question of talent, though, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, if, you, if you're not familiar with the car, and then you, so you find out where it is, go there. And kick ass. Yes, I, I, <laughs> I, I love that theory. So, <laughs> I mean, nowadays, uh, you know, the thing that if you have all these tools, if you don't use them, they're gonna run you over. So you better use them. You yeah. know, like uh, back then, you know, it was uh, you didn't have these tools. We're gonna take a break, and we're gonna come back in the next segment or the final one. We're gonna talk about some of those tools, and the reason we are, you got. A big honorable mention by William Byron after winning the Indianapolis Road Race. He called Max Pappas out amongst everybody. We'll come back and talk about that. Let's We're talking to that. Mad Max. Max Pappas, you are listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace is teaming up with Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard to save you money on your vehicle purchase. Right now, you can get $500 off any new or used vehicle in stock. 
Hey, Mike, there's a landing page online with all the info you need to take advantage of this offer. FordLincolnCharlotte.com slash Wallace. You can view inventory and more. You can even listen to any of the 80-plus episodes of Fast Car to NASCAR while there. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. More with Max Pappas once again. Here's Mike Wallace. Well, we're excited, Max. We've, we've figured out how you got to mid-Ohio. You got on an airplane, you got a map of the racetrack, you looked at the place, and you went and kicked ass. So we got that part figured out. Now, where do we go? Where's the career go from, from that day? I mean, from that day, you know, I built up my career, uh, you know, I had a three-year contract with Toyota. Then uh, I'm sure you guys know, uh, pretty familiar, Mr. Rahal, Bobby Rahal. Sure. Uh, retired. And that's when I got to know your brother because uh, Bobby was sponsored by Millerite. And um, Bobby retired and decided to pick me as a substitute. Um, and uh, that was a, a tremendous opportunity for an Italian guy to represent an American beer company. Well, see, that's something I never realized. I didn't I, either. Yeah. Actually, when I won my first when I won my first race for Miller Light and Ford was uh, uh, the 100 race win for Rusty in uh, Bristol. Oh wow! So that's really cool. Yeah. So that that was yeah. so that that was this basically was my IndyCar career. I raced uh, 115 IndyCar races. Uh, I had. Uh, 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 30 top five, uh, 20 top three, four wins, and uh, and, uh, and that's what I did, you know. And and, uh, and from sports car, from IndyCar, that I did for three, four years. Uh, then I was the victim. I was one of the victim of the of the saga between IndyCar and and uh, IRL. You know that they split the sport. Right. And uh, so there was. You know, my last year in IndyCar, I finished, uh, I won two races, finished fifth in the championship, and I got fired. Uh, and uh, there was no team available. So I, from there, you know, got fired in a way that uh, basically my team didn't, Miller Light pulled out of the sport. So I didn't really got fired, but the, the, the team had to shut down the car. 
And uh, hey, Max, so, can can I give you a little bit of old guy story that's good? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you didn't get fired. The team closed down. Yeah, this it makes yeah, it, it, it. It's actually a better deal just that the team closed down. <laughs> it sounds. Are they failed? Because they didn't have you any longer. That's what happens. <laughs> yeah, you, you, good. I like that. Yeah, you got to make yourself feel good because this getting fired stuff is not cool. I've been there. I've done that. I've experienced okay. that. Yeah, yeah. But, so, no, absolutely. But the those team teams are down. closed up now. <laughs> yeah, the, the team shut down. And, uh, and uh, so what I had to do, I had to reinvent my career once again. And I went back to sports car. And uh, I uh, went to race for Corvette Racing and Ganassi and uh, won championship for both of them. And uh, that was basically uh, what I did before joining NASCAR. Yeah, nice, complete deal. So as you won those races, road racing and so forth, I assume you just built your connections with, with everybody. And so how did the NASCAR world come about for you? I mean, let me give you a step. Let me give you a, a little bit uh, of history before. Uh, in 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 IndyCar, I was pretty good on ovals. I was the actually I won my first ever race in IndyCar at Miami Homestead Speedway, uh, and uh, I was the lap leader in Super Speedway and short track for like three four years. Uh, so when I when I did my sport car racing. Uh, I was part of, of GM, the factory team, and uh, once I did that, I got to know Mr. Hendrick, and uh, and I got to know actually Ken House, not yeah. Mr. Hendrick. Ken House at, at Hendrick Motorsport. It was the period when they were doing the they were they started the, the what it was called the, the not the new gen the next gen. The, it was the new car. Okay. The, whatever was the name, and they needed. Back then, you know, test was open, so they had uh, David Green doing all the oval testing, and I was doing all the road course testing. You know, for uh, I did that for Hendrick for about two years, and uh, and, and, they, and they gave uh, you that opportunity because you met Ken and you had a big road racing background. Is that what, is that? Yeah, how and I was to... racing for Corvette Racing, and uh, okay. they they wanted someone that uh, did not have any preconcept. Okay. Uh, and uh, so I did a, a lot of mileage, a lot of testing. I was very fortunate to, to, I mean, to be able to, you know, be plugged in right away with a team of that level. And uh, and uh, that l led me to run one race for Haas uh, in Sonoma, I believe. Yeah, that was my first NASCAR race. And uh, from there, uh, there is a little bit of a, uh, you know, uh, happy, sad story. So let me explain. Uh, I was racing for Corvette Racing. I was not really looking for anything else besides uh, maybe racing some uh, road courses in NASCAR because I knew that I was not uh, qualified. I didn't have the experience to race on a Novo, you know, because I never did it with, with a stock car. And uh, they approached me. Uh, in I don't remember the year, you know, but basically, uh, you Mike were driving the Geico car the year before, and uh, the guy who managed the the Geico sponsor approached me and said, you know, Max, uh, would you like to race the Geico car in full season in Xfinity? 
And I went, let me think about it. You know, they presented this opportunity to race full time in Xfinity with a Geico car. Uh, they told me that uh, basically you were going to be my teammate. Uh, I dropped everything. I signed the contract. And uh, when I signed the contract, they came to me and said, I'm sorry, by the way, you're not going to race in Xfinity anymore, but you're going to race a part-time season in Cup. And uh, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to get out of the contract because I knew that I was absolutely not qualified to race in Cup. You know, I, had, I didn't have any experience. But unfortunately, Corvette Racing, they already signed another driver, and I found myself stuck in a situation that I really didn't want to be. And uh, that was not a very good experience, you know, how my beginning of my NASCAR career started because I really wanted to race in Xfinity for two, three years, learn about uh, over racing, you know, and have you as my teammate. But I ended up by myself on a part season cup with a team that had zero experience. And uh, that was not very good. Right, it was a challenge for you. So you guys didn't, you were not teammates in Cup? Or no, you we'll simplify it. I got fired. Oh, all right. <laughs> and, well, uh, it was they, one of those where they, you know, they were moving in another direction. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, everything when it was leading up to the point, and uh, Max and I are cool with each other. We get along great. Uh, you know, someone that we had, an, I call it in a, a middleman. And the middleman yep. didn't tell the story exactly the way it was supposed to be and wasn't as quite as honest. And I get along with everybody now. You, you know, the one thing about racing, you got to forgive and forget. But when it's really your career online, it really pisses you off is the simple word. When so it the Geico car then raced part-time after, after it, you It left? went from an Xfinity car uh-huh. to a cup car. And why that happened is that the what's now the Xfinity series, you got to remember, it started as the Bush series. Then it became the nationwide series. Then all of a sudden there was a legal thing that NASCAR is saying that Geico can't be in the nationwide series because they're selling it as an exclusive sponsorship. Ah, gotcha. No more sunset clause like they had when the AT&T world. You know, I'm thinking I'm set. I am locked in for the rest of my life because we got Geico. Well, then they decided to change uh, that rule and made it a cup only. I, I wasn't even aware until just now about the Xfinity deal for Max, but they took Max and put him in a cup car. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I went elsewhere, not totally by choice, but it all worked out fine. To the beach? Uh, <laughs> I just went and paid for everything I got, bought me a new airplane, and sat down and was drank some Miller Lite. Sound like you were doing all right. Yeah, I got my new helicopter coming, so I'm good to go. <laughs> and uh, But that that's, Jeff, that's how to catch up. That was the scenario, right, Max? And that just basically how it happened? <laughs> Yeah, it was supposed to be very different, uh, my NASCAR debut. It ended up uh, not being uh, what I what I had planned. You know, I did the best that I could within the level of inexperience that I had. Um, and I can tell you, like, you know, the, 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 the great things that I, that I learned through my 100, you know, I raced between truck, Xfinity, and Cup 125 races, NASCAR. I got to know great people, and uh, I had two, three times opportunity to drive a really competitive car, 
when I draw for Kevin Harvick, KHI for Mr. Uh, then I draw for Richard Childress and Xfinity. Uh, every time I drove uh, those cars in road courses, I proved to myself uh, that I was uh, the guy that I knew that I always run in the top five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and that was great. I loved it because uh, I, I, for the rest, uh, I felt that uh, I was not able to live the impression that I wanted in stock car racing because uh, it was, uh, I, part of it was my level, the fact that it's so different and, uh, and I had no experience and I was put in a position that I should have never been put, you know, but when I got uh, to sit in a competitive car in road courses where I was more familiar, I was able to show what I was capable to do in NASCAR. I just wish that uh, things would have happen the way that they had promised me they were going to happen in stocker racing because uh, that would have been uh, way more fair towards uh, everything I did in my past uh, and uh, and as well would have been way more fair uh, you know it would have been it would have been the way that it should have been you know you build experience uh, in Xfinity and then if you're good enough you go to cup and uh, like that uh, you know I looked like a tosser in a cup car and that was no good yeah well let's move on from there Okay, let's the, uh, the the NASCAR world didn't turn out well in the Cup deal. You proved that you're a good race car driver because when you got in a good KHI or Childress vehicle, you ran up front. And uh, my last truck race was in a KHI truck, and I won Talladega in it. So there you go. the quality of good the vehicles stuff. are really important. So after we'll call it the NASCAR career. Where did uh, where did you go, Max? What did you what did you do at that point? Yeah, first of all, you know, I never retired, and I'm not retired from racing. No, you, know, I, you and I are going to go. I love I, I love to continue to be involved. You know, and uh, what I did, you know, I continued to compete different level. You know, I raced my you know everything I could from go kart uh, to the run the to run the 24 hour races when I could, uh, but I focused mainly on my new business there was that is a uh, mpi i started mpi in 2009 uh from the garage and uh you know in in 13 years we we are now the usa market leader uh, for steering wheel and accessories in racing and uh, uh we are giving seven or eight people opportunity to have a job here in MPI and uh, the company has been growing uh, and we're expanding in a lot of areas that they're not racing you know related so that has been my focus uh, together with what you mentioned before something that happened that was not supposed to happen but uh, I got to know uh, William Byron you know actually let me take a step, step back when I was at RCR, uh, I started guiding Austin Dillon and Ty Dillon in their quest for championship. Uh, I was right on the side of Austin as his advisor in when he won the, the, the track championship and the Xfinity championship. I was doing that while racing Xfinity in road courses. And uh, then I was able to do very similar things for road course stuff with uh, Joe Logano uh, and uh, help him and build a great relationship. 
Hey, when Ma I was with Joe Logano. Max, hold uh, it hold it right there just for a second because I want to ask you something, then we're going to take a break. But how did you, because I remember those days, I remember seeing you standing by the side of Austin Dillon and Ty. How did you get an opportunity to work with those guys? How did you? I, mean, I was it, racing, okay. I was racing uh, for uh, RCR Okay. Uh, in road courses. And uh, Austin and Ty had zero experience on road courses. So uh, they found that while I was helping them to get better on road courses, they found uh, uh, we found the, the fact that I was really good advisor. I was able to pass on my experience, uh, guide them in the right direction, help them to make the better decision, be the better people, be the best themselves that they could. And, uh, and I ended up... Uh, uh, be, you know, becoming their advisor with the blessing of Richard, and that was amazing. Wonderful. Let's take a break. Let's do it. Talking to Max Pappas, you're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Hi, it's Jeff Kent. You need to get behind the wheel of a vehicle that's built tough with Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln. Right now, you can get $500 off any new or used vehicle that we have in stock. That's right, $500 off any vehicle currently in stock. To take advantage of this deal, simply visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com slash Wallace. Don't miss out on this opportunity to save big on our entire inventory. Get $500 off new or used cars, trucks, and SUVs at Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard now. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointments, or collision need. We're about to bring it home with Max Pappas. Once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, we've had a great conversation uh, talking about how Max's career started in go-karts to Indy cars to road racing to NASCAR and uh, talking about how he's become a little bit of a mentor. And we were talking about the Dillon brothers while he was at RCR. And uh, let's just pick it up from there, Max. You, you were somehow – and uh, I'm, you're very astute. You're very educated when somebody talks to you. Tell us how you took that – with the Dillon brothers and, and what did you do there and how did it continue on? Yeah. First of all, yeah. Great question. And, uh, I'm going to try to explain it super simply. Okay. Um, while racing and testing on the road course, uh, remember Austin, I believe was, uh, light was 21, 22. It was super young and Ty as well. So they were very young kids. So, while testing and racing in the Ford RCR on road courses, uh, they uh, they realized they wanted to get better at that. And uh, spending more and more time uh, 
uh, with them one to one. We all realized that uh, I was gonna, I was able to make them grow as humans, okay. and uh, for them to be the best that they could be. And uh, and so what I did, I transitioned from just racing to become what I call my I call myself performance advisor. That is, uh, uh, I, I, I'm not a driver coach because I think driver coaches are people that uh, uh, you cannot coach speed, you know, that come from God. But you can coach everything else that takes to be a great champion. Things uh, like uh, uh, communication, uh, picking the right people to put on your side, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, that's what I started doing with Austin and Ty. And uh, uh, and it led to, for me to be right on the side of Austin, both in his track championship and in his uh, Xfinity championship. Uh, and uh, all of that uh, ended up uh, leading to a relationship that is amazing with William Byron, you know, about seven years ago, William came to the office with his dad and uh, we were just sharing ideas. Uh, William was just a kid that was trying to make it in, race, make it in racing. And uh, we developed a tremendous relationship. Uh, and uh, in seven years, uh, I'm proud to say that uh, I, I've been on the side of William. Uh, I didn't teach him anything in terms of uh, him being the awesome racer he is, but I taught him a lot. We worked together uh, on becoming the best William Byron he could be. And uh, it was a, I was very proud when uh, he publicly acknowledged that uh, both when we win the we won uh, the Xfinity Championship a few years ago, and uh, on Sunday at Watkins Glen when uh, he won uh, his first road course races, because uh, uh, we did uh, tremendous work together to uh, to achieve that goal. Yeah, I, I was quite impressed. I was really uh, he 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 made it. He didn't just fit it in. He made it a point to to uh, bring your name out to the public, and I, I was very happy for you. And I was curious what what and why. He did that, you know, so I, now we understand you've been working with him uh, on a performance side. as a personal side, and uh, that's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm his advisor, and uh, I've been doing that since day one. And uh, it's, uh, as I always say, William for me is like my third son. It's Good. not a job that I do. It's a commitment that I have. And uh, together, our goal is uh, uh, him being the best he can be and uh, – I, I I love to guide him all the way until he wins his first cup championship, and it can happen this year. Yeah, well, we wish you both, you and him, and the team, and everybody, nothing but the best in that. So, as you do that, you've started this. What has become, I think, I don't know the dollar numbers, and it's none of our business on that. But you've created this very very effective business, MPI, which I'll be honest with you, Max. When I first heard about it, I thought. Steering wheels, that's that's kind of a unique – there's steering wheels all around. How can you make a better steering wheel? Mm-hmm. That's really what I thought. And because I knew Max, it's like well, – How do you? What's I, the I, answer? And it's like, <laughs> well, he made them look better, yeah. you know. So take us from there, Max. How did the, uh, the concept of MPI and, and what is MPI 
and uh, fill us all in. <laughs> yeah, Mike, yeah, that's exactly the same question that a lot of people gave us in the beginning. Uh-huh. And uh, how MPI started, it started uh, to uh, as a service to the community of racing. Uh, during one of my first NASCAR races, I I had I wrecked in Kentucky, and I both I broke bo- both of my wrists. Uh, why I, why that happened? It was because uh, steering column didn't collapse properly, and we were using one of those old, uh, I believe uh, I don't know the name of the company, but it was a, a, like a super stiff steel steering wheel. A that, Schroeder the, wheel, probably. Schroeder wheel. Yes, exact yeah. Schroeder wheel. You know that was the that was the standard in NASCAR, and uh, I was still testing for for uh, for Jimmy Johnson. They'll do testing for Henry Motorsport. So I I was talking to Jimmy. I said, Jimmy, if this happened to you, uh, that you have a crash and you hurt yourself like I did, you're gonna be out for two three weeks, or at least. Uh, let me put my thinking cap, and uh, that's how I started MPI. I started for a need for the sport. We, I worked with NASCAR uh, and with all the drivers to create a steering wheel that bends and deform with about uh, 500 pounds of load in a 5 to 8G impact. So the wheel will deform is, is versus your body or your, or your hand. And uh, that was the beginning of the adventure of you know in the sport. So we improved the... Uh, uh, we improved everything that there is to be improved in a steering wheel, uh, from uh, the grip to the, mainly the safety. And uh, we took that knowledge into dirt racing, drag racing, marine, uh, go-kart, quarter midget. And uh, we have a factory that uh, in, in Europe where we build every, every single steering wheel that we make. So the, the long story short is... Uh, we started to help the sport, and the sport uh, uh, acknowledged that and allowed me to create a business out of it. That See, and, and this is going to be a little humorous part. Jeff Kent, my co-host, was a, an incredible Legends car racer. <laughs> yeah. Think what you would have done with an MPI wheel. I know. You know? I, mean, I clearly would have been no, better. I, I think that what Jeff Kent would have done, you know, it would have done the exact same results. <laughs> you know, but the things, you know, maybe would have been slightly more comfortable. But listen, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. I pride myself a lot in this. Um, uh, uh, our friend uh, uh, Skinner, yeah. that you know really well. You know, I I know that I helped him to race two extra year in the truck series because once he started using the MPI wheel, uh, he, all the vibration that were coming from the car, they were a lot reduced. And I, he has a problem with the, one of his elbow. And I, I remember him telling me that he was actually able to race uh, a full race distance with no problem, uh, while before he couldn't because... Uh, you know his, his his arm was getting cramped up, so uh, maybe that would have been. Uh, I know the, the, the legends race are too short, so yeah. they, they would have you would have not helped your friend. But you know. well, well, just so <laughs> that the fans know, and I will compliment everything you're doing in the wheel world that I'm aware of, and I, I'm using just the basic steering wheel. Is that the grip is totally different? The type of material is totally different. He makes a wheel that fits whatever diameter size, whatever you want fit. 
Well, what I'd like to talk about, because I was looking on your site last night and I was really impressed uh, with the things you're doing, but I understand you worked with the Garage 56 program in Le Mans. And uh, if, if the picture that I've seen it is a very complex, tell us about that a little bit. Uh, yeah, like as I said, you know, MPI evolved uh, from having three steering wheels to have now 180 models. Uh, and uh, one of these models is the wheel that you saw uh, in the Garage 56 with Hendrik Motorsport. That is the same steering wheel that is in the V8 supercar. We have a contract with supercar for the next five years where MPI is the official steering wheel for the series. And uh, when uh, Chet Knauss needed uh, an electronic steering wheel uh, to go with the G56 car, you know, we discussed a little bit about it, and I was able to, I was pleased to, to offer an option that was ready to go where we have uh, 14 uh, push button, five rotary switches to adjust everything you That's needed. Cool. And it was pretty cool to see you know, two paddle shift on the back, and it was really cool to see them using one of the MPI wheel in a in an exercise at G56, and especially representing America over at Le Mans, it was amazing. It was something I pride myself a lot. Yeah, you know, I'd like to also compliment. A lot of people have seen it now, and this is this was kind of breaking news in the garage area. You know, this is supposed to be funny. Okay. So Kenny, my brother, turned 60 years old. Yes, he did. Right? And so <laughs> Max, uh, as being a friend, uh, numerous other people got involved. They all cut a video, and his daughter had uh, somebody put it all together. So Max is uh, wishing Kenny a 60th, happy 60th birthday. Right. And he shows, I'm going to call it the Garage 56 wheel, whether it was or not. Yes, sir. It had all these buttons and it's real complex looking, you know. Then he shows up another one. And, and I don't know that I'm saying exactly the way he said it, but then he gets back and he goes, well, you're 60. Let's just give you a basic old steering wheel. <laughs> <laughs> it shows just a standard steering wheel. I thought, that was so cool. That was that was perfect. One from the Yeah, like you know, when, I, when I told Kenny, I was like, listen, I was in doubt if sending you this uh, super complex steering wheel with all these buttons and switches, but then I looked at the age that you were turning, so I say, let's keep it simple. <laughs> yes. Something he can relate to. Yeah. Yes, it was very nice. Yeah, yeah. and, uh, and uh, that was my present for Kenny. And that, you know, as I said, you know, I'm very fortunate that through, the, through my years of racing, uh, I was able to get to know people like your family, you know, Mike and, uh, you know, Rusty, uh, I mean, your nephews, uh, Kenny, and uh, I'm glad that we built this genuine relationship and uh, respect amongst each other. And uh, I am extremely grateful for this opportunity. Well, beautiful. What is uh, what's next on your list, Max? Is it you got anything new happening in, in your world, the race world, the MPI world? What do you got going uh, actually, on? Actually, that, that's interesting. You know, you know I, one of the things I forgot to tell you that I don't know if you know that, but basically. Uh, I've been working in the last five, six years with Jay Fry in IndyCar. You know, I am one of the stewards in IndyCar together with Ari Leindijk. So my job is implementing the rules during the races and, and uh, helping writing the rule book. So the next two weeks, I will be in Portland and Laguna Seca for, for the last two IndyCar races. And, uh, and then I will be racing my go-kart. Uh, at the GoPro track here locally in North Carolina at the U.S. Championship. 
so and they keep developing a new product for MPI and uh, and uh, I'm not going to say it too loud, but there is a NASCAR championship uh, on the line and uh, and uh, the goal that I mentioned to you before to guide my 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 protege William Byron and make sure he can be the best he can be. Uh, that would be a dream to be able to go uh, in uh, end of in the beginning of November and uh, see what it does at in Phoenix if he if he gets there. Well, I hope you guys and wish you guys the very best, you and William and Hendrick Motorsports. I like Mr. H a lot. He's always been very nice to me and my family. So uh, nothing better than that. Uh, I will go back to your IndyCar deal. I uh, I think, Jeff, I told you I went to the Indy 500 for the first time right. this year right. as a guest of A.J. Foyt. And I ran into Max. And um, we were supposed to get together, and we missed each other of going to – but uh, congratulations on that, Max. You're, you got yourself very diverse in the uh, racing world from a driver to, to a consultant to a rules maker, and I wish you nothing but the best. Just keep it up and uh, stay in touch. Absolutely. Great to be with you guys today and, uh, you know, love catching up. And, uh, you know, I want to say uh, thanks to all the race fans and all the people in the sport that uh, I got to know through all these years. And uh, uh, great to catch up with you guys. There all you right. go, Max. One final thing. Where does uh, – give us an address that race fans can pull an email address up or something to see if you have any – MPI has any swag available or learn more about steering wheels and all the – the millions of people listen around the world if they need a steering wheel for the kid, how Perhaps they find it. Perhaps the MPI it. website. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. The MPI website is maxpappasinc.com. There, there you go. go. And just continue I to show up and kick ass, MPI. Max. There you go. Max yeah. Pappas. And here we go. That, You've that been listening be to simple. Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media.